Well, hello. Thank you again for joining us. My name is Mary Tarsha, and I'm here with Dr. Darsha Narvaez. And today we're going to be talking about ethical Samaritans. She has a wonderful chapter in her 2014 book entitled Neurobiology in the Development of Human Morality, Evolution, Culture, and Wisdom. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Narvaez. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So in in chapter eight, you talk about ethical Samaritans, and you give wonderful example of several people within the context of the Good Samaritan story and how they represent have different responses that represent different ethical mindsets and orientations. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I'd be delighted. to. So uh, let's just assume a, a version of the Good Samaritan story. This is a story that Jesus told as a parable uh, to show that uh, your compassion for others should cross boundaries, Hmm. Um, where he uh, described a man who had been beaten up by robbers uh, lying by the side of the road, and people kept walking by. Uh, Even the, I think it was a Pharisee, walked Mm -hmm. by, even though he's supposed to be the highest moral person in his society. Uh, He would not help his fellow uh, community member, and other people walked by. And um, it was a Samaritan that ended up helping. And a Samaritan was from a different tribe, uh, usually at enemies with uh, the Jewish people. And so uh, it was a shock to the audience mm-hmm. to hear this parable that, oh, those people <laughs> helped our people? The outgroup. <laughs> the outgroup out helped the in-group. Right. So, <laughs> anyway, so we're building on that story. Let's now imagine a man, and we'll call him Manny. Manny Man is walking down a dark street. And then we're going to have a series of passerbys, uh, and they're going to display different kinds of ethical mindsets. So a robber, Ron the robber, (laughs) sees him, sees Manny, the man, as an easy mark. Mm. And so he robs him and beats him up until he's unconscious and leaves him there. Mm. Now, Robbie was raised without the evolved nest, with trauma or with trauma that occurred and no one ever helped him heal from that Mm. trauma. Child abuse, sexual abuse, bullying extensively, something happened and went wrong. And so he has a sense of entitlement uh, as a matter of self-protection. So one way to feel safe in the world uh, in this kind of distressed neurobiological self is to dominate others. And so one way to dominate them is to just take what, what they have for yourself. And you never have this kind of centered self uh, that develops. So here we have Ron, the robber, who thinks it's fine. It's just for him to uh, uh, rob Manny the man because he has something he wants and I'm going to get it. Mm-hmm. And that you have a very limited kind of moral orientation, but you do. it's a morality. Mm-hmm. It's an ethic because it's guiding your behavior. Mm-hmm. So you think of ethics not just in terms of positives, but also, we say negatives or hurtful or destructive. Those are also ethics. Right. And it's important in triune ethics meta theory to realize that it describes optimal morality but and objectively optimal, which for the majority of religions and philosophies around the world means compassionate morality. That's the highest form of morality. Uh, but throwing ethics meta theory also identifies the suboptimal types, hmm. which, and they all have some subjective 
nature. So from your own perspective, from the pers- perspective of the actor, the agent, they think they're acting morally. Yeah, so all of us in any moment, we're always aiming for the good, whatever we think is good in the moment. And when we're in the uh, self-protective mindset, what's good in the moment is often harmful mm-hmm. to others in particular, but also to ourselves in the end. I also, I really like that part of the theory because I think it really is raising the dignity of the human person, right? Even if they have an ethic that differs for, from, from ours at the present moment, it is recognizing and validating that their choice of ethic or the ethic they're acting out of is coming from and is really the product of all of their life experiences. And it's recognizing that and valuing that. Yes, but it's also um, indicative that an ethic, when it's subjectively, well, objectively Mm. unjust, but subjectively just, that something went wrong in the community that supported that person. They didn't support that person correctly in this species-typical way that fosters optimal development something went wrong and it's a community responsibility as well as that individual's responsibility for that harmful behavior that they then perpetuate so rob the robber we see that his behaviors his his ethic is a result of all of his life experiences you know up until that point um specifically it can be understood and explained by the evolved nest and the trauma in his life but that it, it is also the community at large um, that has shaped him, right? And it is recognizing that he's acting from this ethic, which he's doing right. This is what he thinks. But objectively speaking, it does recognize there is a harm going on here. That's right. So it's uh, we all have to take responsibility mm. then. Uh, it, it's a different um, way of thinking about morality. It's not Absolutely. just an individual responsibility. And um that means we all have to step up mm. and make sure children are well cared for so that they are uh, developing the kind of morality that is going to foster good community relations mm-hmm. and uh, flourishing. Mm-hmm. So there's another person, um, several other people actually, within your story that you uh, exemplify. And one of them is a girl, right? Yes. Now tell us about this girl. All right. We'll call her Grace. Girl, Grace the girl. Mm -hmm. She walks by and sees the man, Manny Man, unconscious. Mm. She doesn't know him, but she's scared. And she tries not to be seen because maybe the robber's still there. Maybe the the dangerous person is nearby. So she she just shrinks along. Mm. And she's representative of uh, what I call a compliant or a wallflower or withdrawn mindset. So she's learned in her history that it's best to not speak up, to not feel, to not be in the moment and just kind of slink along through Mm. life. And so she is unable to actually be emotionally present to that man, Mm. to Manny Man. So there's not empathy, an empathic response. No, because she's shut down her emotions. Ah. She's put on blinders. She's hardened her heart. Uh, as a self-protective mechanism. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking here about dispositions, you know, that these people have gotten into um, ha- habits of these ways of being. Mm-hmm. We can all shift in and out of these, though. 
So when we're feeling scared on a, uh, maybe in the old days on the New York subway system, people used to be very much blinded. Mm. And when someone was in need, they wouldn't even see it. They wouldn't even notice that someone was bleeding or someone was, you know. They'd be like Grace, right? They'd be like Grace, yeah, mm. because they had learned for self-protectionist reasons in that circumstance, you cannot be human, you cannot be open-hearted because it's too dangerous. They might attack you too. At least mm. that was the belief. Can you turn off if you shut down? I mean, uh, you're shutting down your your feelings and your, your empathic response, but is it selective, right? Can we do it sometimes but not others? Yes, and sometimes it's good to do if you're a doctor and uh, your friend's child comes into the emergency room. Mm-hmm. You want to not <gasps> feel lots of empathy. You won't be able to function right. very well. You have to be detached and, and form kind of an ice morality, which we we'll talk about here if uh, and let me just go to that so yes. the coroner coroner cam comes along and uh examines the cause of death uh of manny of, of manny yeah. man's death and he's very detached about that he has mm. an iced morality about it um what i call iced and so it's useful at times to be in that mode but mm-hmm. not if you spend your life that way huh. because you're not acknowledging your relationships your relational responsibilities the effects of your actions on others uh, over a short or long term. Mm-hmm. So it's not a good way to spend your life. Right. But in this situation for Cam, when he's doing the, the autopsy, right, going into that ethic is practical, right? Yes. Is useful. And let, now let's go to a boy walking by. Uh, while a manny's body is still there, Bob the boy mm-hmm. uh, walks by and stays back though because he's also afraid. But he's afraid of contamination. That mm. he's this person's impure. He might maybe has uh, AIDS or something, and, uh, and somehow has an idea that that's mm. going to harm him. And so he has a general kind of safety orientation that I have to protect myself because whatever that person is, it's sort of like the. Yeah, the opposite of what the Good Samaritan in the original sure. story did. He didn't have a sense of that. Our group member is gonna, you know, stay away from them because they're evil and bad yes. and impure. No, that and that's sort of what he's displaying this uh, uh, the sense of fear. But it seems to me Grace and Bob, <laughs> Grace who just withdrew and kept on walking. I, I assume right and tries not to see, and also Bob the boy who's afraid. Their behavior is pretty similar, right? right? But there's a different reason yeah, behind so for, what they're doing. Yeah, so for Grace, it's just an instinctive withdrawal. Mm. It's very physiological condition from her early life. For Bob the boy, it's more imagination is driving this, his belief ah, systems, which can also be uh, shaped by uh, early experience. So mm. if people tell you, be afraid of green people, uh, and you never knew why, but they told you that over and over when you're a little kid, then when you see a green person, ah, you're scared, <laughs> sure, right? And sure. so uh, there's a lot of beliefs like that that get inculcated mm-hmm. in families where the family members, the adults, are actually afraid, and they're trying to make their children afraid also. Right. All right. That makes a lot of sense. And then you bring up there's an adolescent. Yes. Adam, the adolescent, helps. Yes, Manny. right. So Manny get to an emergency room. So yeah. Manny is not dead in this situation. Ah, so he's just okay. he's unconscious only. Uh, and so he... Uh, this adolescent 
is engaged. He sees the need. He feels empathy. And, and he does something. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. So he has more of a um, a sense of efficacy, mm-hmm. a sense of being able to help as well. So he's practiced some way of helping. There was a man who, um, in recent years, in the New York subway system again, bring that up, <laughs> who uh, saw a woman fall onto the tracks. Yes. And he jumped down and rolled her over and protected her from wow. the train that was coming. Amazing. Right. It was Amazing. just, yeah. And everyone said, wow, why doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> well, this guy was a trained Marine. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had lots of practice doing those of kinds skills. of things. Yes. Yeah. So we built skills to be able to help. And so that's what we also have to then remember that to really know and be able to help others, we have to practice a lot of different ways Aww. to do it so that when the moment really comes a great need that we can step in and do it without hesitation. And do it. Yeah, I love that story. That's fantastic. And then there's a, a one final person that you bring up, a man. Yes, an elder Ed. Elder Ed learns what happened to the manny man, and he gets a light installed on the road ah, so that okay. no one else will be caught in the dark in the same way. And this is representative of a communal imagination. How can we make things better for all of us together so that we can all flourish? Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. And what a wonderful uh, final example to end on. Someone who is a wise elder who's thinking about the good of all and takes action to promote that. So thank you so much, Dr. Narvaez. You're welcome.